0: Well, welcome. It's a special day to be together. It's a special season. We call this Advent, which is that time when we remember Christ coming and also remember that he's coming again. And it's really worth taking three or four weeks each year to focus on those things. Let me pray for us as we begin this sermon time. Father, I thank you for the work the musicians have done to lead us in worship, to lead us uh, to reflect on Christ and his birth and on Mary and her ministry. And I pray now that you would come and touch each heart, Father, whether we are members or regular tenders or guests, would you please, by your spirit, take your word and direct us to Jesus. We pray that in his name. Amen. Well, do you feel like you're ready to learn from a pregnant teenager this morning? Is that kind of the mode you're in? Because that's the passage that we have today. You know, for many of us, these stories are so familiar that they are actually at risk. We can miss the gritty normalcy of these people's lives, like Mary. And when we do miss that normalcy, we also are at risk of missing the miracles that came into their life. We hear these stories over and over again, and they can almost move into a category like fable or Uh, A narrative that we think teaches a point, but we forget that these are historical facts, things that happened, the biggest milestones in the history of the world. So this morning we're looking at Mary, and she was a peasant girl from from an obscure village, Nazareth, in the countryside, Galilee, far to the north from Jerusalem. Might be the equivalent today of having someone be from the hills of Appalachia. Someone who definitely was not a mover and a shaker not in a position of power, known as expecting big things from this person. That would have been Mary. But she had one thing going for her. She was engaged. And she was engaged to a good, solid, responsible, respectable man, looking forward to her wedding, and all her family planned for her, and his family planned for them, and even in their little village, this would be a really big deal. And so Mary was excited about that. Then the angel Gabriel came, and informed her God was going to use her to be the mother of the Son of God. Now, she was probably 13, 14, maybe at most 15 years old when she got that message. How would a typical teenager respond to that message today, do you think? And I don't mean to diss our teenagers, but uh, I'm kind of picturing there's going to be some drama. What? I'm going to What? How's that going to work? And she had some natural questions, which the angel was happy to answer for her. But the angel encouraged her to believe and to trust God. And she did. The angel told her, even your relative Elizabeth, who's so old, she couldn't have any kids. She's going to have a baby. And so we're going to find this story happens when Mary goes to be with Elizabeth, to have that confirmation of what God has promised. But you have to understand, to understand what she's going to sing that this messed up her world, okay? You got a picture. She was, okay, her status on Facebook was single. Then it went to being engaged. And the next thing was supposed to be married, right? Where in all those categories does it fit to be having a child by God? In fact, having the son of God. You can go through all those categories if you want. There's one, I think it's called something like, it's complicated. (laughs) That's what she would have had to put, Right? Her story's complicated. She goes back to the village and, excuse me, uh, Joseph, yeah, I'm going to have a baby. Oh, would you like to tell me about that? Well, in fact, I would. Are you ready to listen? And then we'll tell your mom and dad. And then we'll tell my mom and dad. And then we'll tell the rest of the village. How's the story go? Oh, well, you see, God came and did this. So Mary's world really got put in a spin. And for many of us, we would be so consumed. God, what is this doing to me? But what we're going to find from Mary's song is that her view was very different. Look at uh, after she gets with Elizabeth and the baby inside Elizabeth, who's John the Baptist, whose job was to point the way to Christ, responds when she walks in carrying the Lord Jesus Christ in her womb. And she is confirmed, and Elizabeth said, it's even unbelievable that you're at my house. Why should the mother of my Lord come? And that leads to this song in verse 46. And Mary said... My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So what does Mary do in the midst of her drama? She comes into her cousin's house or relative and she exclaims, My soul exalts and glorifies God. Unbelievable how great He is and how merciful He is and what wonderful thing He's doing to save me and to keep His promises to Israel. In fact, He's going to offer His salvation to the whole world and He's letting me be part of that story. My soul exalts God. I don't have to say about our worship. You know, we love these Christmas songs, and for many of us, it kind of attaches to emotions from our childhood and a bunch of other things, much of which is good. The words in these songs is incredible. But they are pointing us to Christ. And that's what Mary, the worshiper, does. She starts by exalting God. And that's the place for all of us to start. And then she goes on to say, besides the fact that my soul exalts God, my spirit rejoices. She says, I find such deep satisfaction and joy and hope and peace in exalting God. I can hardly stand it. My soul is rejoicing. Excuse me, Mary. I thought you were pregnant. I thought the neighbors were talking. I thought you were facing a lot of difficulty. And the answer to all those questions was yes, yes, and yes. But God, as a gift to her, had given her these eyes of faith. She could see what God was doing. And she realized, I get to be part of that story. And my soul just rejoices at the goodness of God, even in the midst of my trouble. And then Mary goes on to say that she also sees that God has worked with her in part because of her humble state. She doesn't have much else to offer. She's this backwater girl. She doesn't have power or prestige or influence. And yet God has chosen her. And she sees that and says, I see a pattern here. Why would God choose someone like me when he wants to move again in history after four or five hundred years of silence. And she's starting to recognize a trend. God seems to have a real heart for the powerless. People like this 14 or 15-year-old engaged girl. And she wants people to understand this is the kind of God we serve. And I guess I wonder if you can relate to that this morning. You see, God knew the intimate details of Mary's life. And he knows the intimate details of your life. And you might feel like, I don't have a lot that I could really do. You know what Mary had to offer? She had availability and faith. That's all she had to offer. And she responded to God and his request for her service with availability and faith. I will believe you and I will do it. And that's really what God calls for us to do as well. And you know, Mary got this incredible blessing, of course. She gets to be called the mother of the Lord Jesus. But do you understand, I mean, really this morning, with all the other blessings you might have in your life, with your family and a million other things, what blessing it is for us to be called the children of God? I mean, seriously? Adopted into his family by the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, who came at this season, which is why we celebrate this. We have something to exalt God for as well. We will be forever. Those of us who have our trust in Christ and his work on our behalf are going to be called the children of God forever. Forever. Well, then she goes on to kind of expand on this theme about God's love for the poor and powerless. Verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but He has sent the rich away empty. So you see, she says, God's mercy is consistent with those who fear or trust and respect him. He's faithful from generation to generation. Well, mercy, I don't know, uh, you know, most of us think about mercy. We think about grace. None of us really want justice, do we? Maybe for somebody else. Maybe for that person that cut me off in traffic or had some other experience. But I want mercy. And Mary is acknowledging God is a God of mercy. And he has mercy for those who are mindful of him and expectant of him, respectful and fearful of him. God also has a heart for the poor and powerless, Mary says. He expends this mercy. He also performs mighty deeds. There's a picture of his strong arm, the strong arm of God. In the history of Israel, there were a lot of times it looked like God had let them down. The enemy came in. The Romans were overruling them and running their towns and their cities and their capital, even as Mary was living. And yet she said, I see the strong arm of God, and he is keeping his promises, and he is standing for us as a nation and for me as this humble girl from Nazareth. She says, God lifts up the humble. God fills the hungry with good things. It's a quote from one commentary I looked at. There is no doubt that God expects the church to show compassion to the poor because they are in a unique position to appreciate that they must be dependent on God. It's not that poverty is somehow a much higher state. It's just a state of dependence that God sees and responds to that is so desirable. And so for us, that's really where God wants to get us to, understanding that dependence. This author went on to say, one of the illusions of wealth, power, and status is that we think we might be in control of our lives. We have enough stuff, we can take care of things and take care of ourselves. Another illusion is that we are somehow better than others. Well, I have all this stuff. I have enough money, and I have my job, and I have my reputation, and I have these things, so I must be better than that person that doesn't have those things. And what Mary is pointing out to us is, you know what? I was just this teenager in Nazareth in the impoverished days under the Roman rule, and God had mercy on me, and God cares for the poor. As a church, we better be the hands and feet of Christ. Seeing the people that he sees, not just the ones that we see. I have to tell you, this is an area that really touches my own heart and challenges me. Because the things about materialism, pride, authority, wealth, it's not only that those are out in the world, they come streaming into the church. We play some similar games, we become name droppers. And we love positions and titles. And boy, if we have the heart of Jesus, that's not going to be the way it looks. We're going to understand that everybody is as important as anybody. And that God is willing to use everyone. In fact, intends to use everyone. In fact, is probably using people that we have no idea. While we might think we're the ones that are doing so much. That's the way God works. And that's what Mary would have for a lesson for us. Jesus saw the widow give her might and said, there's a big deal. Jesus saw children who people wanted to push away and said, there's a big deal. Bring them to me. He saw the physically challenged that most people didn't even see. And he had time for them. And he stopped the show to minister to them and to touch them. May that be the kind of thing that we learn. As Mary learned that day, God loves the humble. God works and ministers to the humble. Well, then the last two verses, 44 and 45. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers, What's this deal about Israel? Why do they keep coming into the news? What Mary realized after 2,000 years of their history was that God is a promise keeper. He promised Abraham a blessing that would be eternal. He promised David someone who would sit on his throne forever and ever and ever. ever. And Mary says to us this morning, and you know what? He keeps his promises. I was first hand eyewitness him keeping all those promises about being born in Bethlehem. All the things we read from Micah and Isaiah and Luke. Mary would have us know today, you better get it, he keeps his promises. And when we think about the fact that we're also looking for his next coming, we should remember he's going to keep his promises about that too. So like Paul's words from Jael to Timothy... Mary's words to us are, you know what, in the midst of this Christmas season, all the things going on in your life, all the celebration, remember and focus on Jesus. So I got a question for you. What is it that you want for Christmas this year? The new iPhone or an iPad or an iPad mini or some big trip or vacation or experience? What is it that you want for? Well, answer this question. What did you get for Christmas last year? Can you even remember? And if you did get what you want, did it really satisfy your soul? Did it actually bring you to that place of significance you thought it would? And I'm not saying that we should just feel guilty about things or, uh, or be uh, ecstatic. Put everything aside. What I'm saying is Mary would say to us this morning, you guys have it pretty good, but you're in danger of missing the best. Because it's easier for people who are poor and powerless to see Jesus for who he is. But it doesn't mean we can't also see Jesus for who he is. I don't mean to have a message of guilt. What I want to say is, let's go for the best. Let's ask God to help us this Christmas. Keep Christ in Christmas. Let's learn from this pregnant teenage girl who was insignificant herself, but who became the mother of our Lord and who said, oh my, my soul glorifies the Lord and my soul and spirit rejoice in God my Savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just the season and how it focuses us back on your invasion of our world and your faithfulness to us. And Lord, I pray for each one of us here this morning that you administer by your spirit to call us to make Christ the main thing this Christmas and to see how he came in humility himself. Mary was a humble mother. His birth was in a humble place. His life was a life of humility and service. And his death was the most humiliating thing to be experienced. But he was and is God, the promise-keeping God, who's coming again next time in glory. And Father, I pray that remembering these things, we would put away our distractions and focus on him this Christmas. We ask your help in Jesus' name. Amen.